Hi, guys. As you may know, in addition to The Liz Wheeler Show, I co-host a weekly series with Senator Ted Cruz. It's called The Cloakroom on Verdict Plus. Today, I want to give you a sneak peek into what we do on The Cloakroom each and every week. This week, the senator and I talked about what we, as citizens, can do about the violence in our streets. Violence that's growing thanks to lawless progressive prosecutors installed by George Soros in cities across America. And I'm not just talking about New York and LA. On the cloakroom each week, I pick Senator Cruz's brain about the legal aspects of the core issues facing our nation. This conversation was especially interesting because Senator Cruz reveals what our potential legal options might be to counteract these prosecutors gone wild. If you enjoy this conversation, I hope you'll check out all the other conversations we've been having over on Verdict Plus. Recently, the senator and I talked about America's foreign policy as it relates to Taiwan, Justice Clarence Thomas's concurrence in Dobbs, and what that might mean for other cases like Obergefell, and so much more. To get access to the cloakroom every week, head over to verdictwithtedcruz.com slash plus and use my promo code cloakroom for a free month. That's verdictwithtedcruz.com slash plus and promo code cloakroom to get immediate access to all of our conversations. In the meantime, please enjoy this sneak preview of The Cloakroom. Hi guys, I'm Liz Wheeler. This is another episode of The Cloakroom right here on Verdict Plus. I'm here with Senator Ted Cruz. And today the topic I wanna talk about is one I asked you guys, the Verdict Plus community about two weeks ago. I said we were gonna do it the week after, but then another topic came up. We're finally getting to this. It's really an important topic and it builds actually Senator, on a topic that you and Michael talked about on Verdict, the crime wave that's happening in cities across America, and how that is, of course, tied to the progressive prosecutors, the district attorneys in cities that um, have been funded by George Soros. So today, George Soros, actually this week, published an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal saying that he wasn't going to back down from this strategy, even as San Francisco district attorney was recalled. There's an effort in Los Angeles to recall that district attorney who's very far left funded by Soros. This is what Soros writes in the Wall Street Journal. He said, in recent years, reform-minded prosecutors and other law enforcement officials around the country have been coalescing around an agenda that promises to be more effective and just. This agenda includes prioritizing the resources of the criminal justice system to protect people against violent crime. It urges that we treat drug addiction as a disease, not a crime, and it seeks to end the criminalization of poverty and mental illness This agenda, aiming at both safety and justice, is based on both common sense and evidence. It's popular, Soros writes, it's effective. Senator, is it popular and is it effective? (laughs) I got to say, that's just nuts. Um, I I mean, that really is, listen, Soros is is an extreme and radical guy, but but that is so disconnected from reality, it's it's difficult to overstate. The, the, The idea that elected DAs refuse to prosecute violent crime, which is what he's talking about. That's what he is funding. He's putting millions of dollars behind DAs who won't prosecute violent crime. It is wildly unpopular, and it's one of the reasons why Democrats are running scared in November, because people are realizing their crazy policies are, are making uh, cities and communities and, and their families much more dangerous and much more at risk. I think people understand that they need to vote these prosecutors out. They need to they need to stage these recalls. But I want to take it a step deeper than this and ask you from a legal perspective, if a prosecutor has not been recalled or if a recall fails, what can states or voters do to address the negligence of these prosecutors in actually enforcing criminal statutes? 
Well, unfortunately, there are limited mechanisms. Uh, if you look at a district attorney, an elected district attorney, they, they are have enormous power in most states. Now, it varies state by state what the exact authority is. But as a general matter, an elected DA has almost blanket authority over criminal prosecutions in that jurisdiction. And, and that blanket authority plays out two ways. It's a decision of whom to prosecute and a decision of whom not to prosecute. And, and both of them are really dangerous. On, on the first one, whom to prosecute, you know, there's an old line that, 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 that a district attorney can indict a ham sandwich. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. That can be really problematic if you have a political prosecutor who is targeting his or her political enemies or targeting the enemies of whatever party is in power. That's one side of the coin. The flip side of the coin, which is much more recent, uh, is the decision of whom not to prosecute. And it's where these, these George Soros DAs are so shockingly problematic. Now, Soros, you're right, his op-ed in the journal is brazen. It is unrepentant. He said, I've done this and I'm going to keep doing it more. He's poured literally millions of dollars into district attorney races all across the country. And, and DA's races used to be sleepy little races. They didn't have a whole lot of money spent on them. You usually had a couple of prosecutors who were career prosecutors, and there were differences between them, but not massive differences between them. Soros, look, this guy, I, I've never met George Soros. I don't know him personally, but, but everything he says and does, he is extreme. And you can think of Soros DAs who systematically refuse to enforce the law to, to prosecute violent crime as another avenue for abolishing the police. So one way to abolish the police is get rid of the men and women in blue, abolish the police, defund the police, cut the funding of police. And with the cheerleading of Soros and, and other leftists like AOC, we've seen defunding the police movements all across the country. On the prosecutor's side, Soros has funded to the tune of millions of dollars DA races in Philadelphia, in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, in Milwaukee, in Chicago, in Suffolk, Massachusetts. He's poured millions and millions of dollars. And the people who've come in, these guys are radicals. They're not what used to be kind of even a Democrat prosecutor is a little squishy on crime, but is basically someone who locks up bad guys. These guys consistently, for example, we're seeing in New York cashless bail, which is related to these Soros DAs. It's another incredibly soft on crime policy where you just let people go because they buy into the notion that locking up, prosecuting people who commit violent crimes is inherently racist. That's, that's what they've convinced themselves, that if someone if someone who commits a murder happens to be a minority, well, it's racist to prosecute them because they're a minority, which is such utter garbage on like 19 levels, one of which is that the most frequent victims of murderers who are African-Americans or Hispanics are other African-Americans or Hispanics. So if, if you say, I'm so racially enlightened, I'm not going to prosecute people who kill Black people are Hispanics. That ain't Black Lives Matter. That's that's the leftist saying the life of the victim doesn't matter, and I'm not I'm not going to prosecute the killer uh, who, who took their life. Well, selective enforcement of the law is unfortunately something that we have seen in a lot of these Democrat-controlled 
DA offices and federal prosecutor offices. In fact, the best example of this that I can think of is Dinesh D'Souza. What happened to him is essentially he served time for uh, the infraction that he committed, whereas everyone else was simply paid the fine um, after they were convicted. And the obvious reason for this disparity was Dinesh D'Souza's politics. Someone clearly had it out for him. And I think this obviously rises above what we should tolerate under the doctrine of prosecutorial discretion. But what we're seeing now in these Democrat-controlled cities with these progressive prosecutors is a little bit different. We're actually seeing what's more like selective unenforcement of the law. So my question is this, is this still just prosecutorial discretion or is it more sinister than that? So look, prosecutorial discretion is is a very important doctrine and it's a doctrine that, that you have limited time and so you can devote your resources where you think there's the greatest need. On question, and so for example, there are jurisdictions that have implemented drug courts where they take someone for first time possession, nonviolent, and instead of putting them in jail, they divert them to a treatment program. I think all of those things can make sense. And, and Soros in his op-ed, he talks about that and tries to wrap what he's doing in, in that mantle. He's right. Some of that stuff is popular. What the Soros DAs are doing that's new is they're taking the same leniency for violent criminals, for people who commit. Look, we saw recently Lee Zeldin, who's a friend of mine running for governor in New York, who was violently attacked from a guy who took a weapon. It was actually a kitty cat keychain, but was sharp, like worn like brass knuckles and designed to slash someone's neck open. And, and he jumped on the stage. He assaulted Lee Zeldin. Lee, fortunately, he's a veteran. He knows how to defend himself. And he held the guy off and then police officer tackled him. It was astonishing that guy who attempted to murder a candidate for the Republican nominee for governor in New York was released within 24 hours under cashless bail. They let him go. I got to say that idiocy may well elect Lee Zeldin, governor of New York, if he ran on nothing else. The principle that if someone commits a crime of violence, don't put them in a revolving turnstile and let him go. That could well elect a Republican in New York. But the Soros DAs are doing this over and over and over again, and it's people who commit aggressive crimes of violence. Take, for example, the Waukesha Parade, that lunatic who drove a red SUV into a parade, a November parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin. That lunatic had been in and out of jail repeatedly. And you had a Soros DA who kept giving him a slap on the wrist and letting him go. Just a few days before the parade, that lunatic had been arrested for assaulting a woman, uh, a pregnant woman who, who was pregnant, I believe, with his child, and for trying to run her over with the same red SUV. He literally had tried to run someone over five days earlier. He was arrested for it. And they gave him a a nominal bail, a slap on the wrist. They let him go. And within a few days, he was in that same SUV driving into a parade where he murdered six people and injured over 60. And, And it is that pattern over and over and over again where violent criminals, you have Soros DAs who say, we're not going to prosecute them. We're not going to hold them. We're not going to bring cases against them. We're going to let them go. You end up with more and more and more violent crimes. And I got to say, Liz, this is a new phenomenon. I've worked in law enforcement for a lot of years before I was in the Senate. I've never seen prior to the last few years DAs that come to office 
not to prosecute murderers, not to prosecute rapists, not to prosecute violent criminals. And Soros claims this is popular. Well, if it's popular, then why did the bright blue far left radical Dems in San Francisco say enough of this nonsense, lock up the bad guys? Yeah, if Soros thinks this is popular, then he's obviously hanging out with the wrong people. He's hanging out with people who only want to tell him what he wants to hear. These examples that you give, though, Lee Zeldin and then the Waksha Parade, this, do these victims who have been harmed because these violent criminals were allowed either out on nominal bail or no bail at all, do they have any standing that they could have legal recourse, that they could sue these prosecutors for some kind of negligence since that's the prosecutor's job. It's not even a matter of, of non-enforcement. So it, it is very, very difficult. The first remedy that you have in jurisdictions that allow it are things like recalls. And we saw that in San Francisco. We're, we're seeing that ongoing in Los Angeles. Um, the second remedy that is related to that is beating them in a subsequent election. We may see some of that happening, although at least so far, many of these Soros DAs are still there. And if Soros is individually spending millions of dollars to keep him in office, there's got to be a concerted effort to counteract that or, or they can win elections because they deceive people. On the question of civil liability, so a, a family that, that, that whose loved one was murdered by someone released, the hurdles to succeeding in a case like that are incredibly high. As a general matter, the courts have been extremely unwilling to entertain cases where you sue law enforcement for non-enforcement of the law. Um, I introduced legislation in the Senate during the Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots where you had, again, left-wing DAs who wouldn't prosecute people who committed acts of violence during those riots because they agreed with those acts of violence. Uh, my legislation would have created a federal cause of action that anyone who was injured, whose family was killed or whose property was damaged during a riot where political officials made the decision to refuse to enforce the law would have a cause of action against that jurisdiction. And I fought to try to get that passed, but the Democrats consistently oppose those efforts. Absent a change in law, it would be very, very difficult to succeed on a civil suit. Could that kind of law be done at the state level if the federal government or the or Congress is controlled by Democrats? It could. And, and you take a state like uh, Wisconsin, where Wisconsin is a purple state. It's been red. It's been blue. If you end up with a Republican governor or Republican legislature, I think that'd be a great law to pass uh, in a state like Wisconsin, because in Milwaukee, they have had a Soros DA. Um other red states, it depends where it is, but I think any red state could pass it or even any purple state that isn't nuts could conceivably pass it. But it's an issue that's got to be explained. And this is a hard issue. You know, think about the fact that Kamala Harris literally raised money to pay the bail for violent rioters who participated in acts of violence. Like that is astonishing. And yet there is, the corporate media won't discuss it at all. Um, it, it is something that I think people are infuriated about, but the media tries as much as they can to treat January 6th as the most cataclysmic event in the history of the universe and to treat an entire year of Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots 
as something that, you know, nothing to see here. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Move on. That double standard, both in law enforcement and the media, I think is really, really troubling. Absolutely. Everyone is sick of the violence in our streets. Now, I want to ask you about the federal aspect, the federal level here. When Republicans take back the White House in 2024, what charges, if any, could the Department of Justice consider bringing against these prosecutors who refuse to carry out the duties of their offices? So, so, so there definitely is a lot that that a any principal Department of Justice could do. And hopefully we get a Republican president elected in 2024 and 2025 you know, our system of criminal laws, you have state laws and federal laws, and you have state prosecutors and federal prosecutors, and there's overlapping jurisdiction. So in the instance of, of crimes of violence, um, if you have a local DA that's refusing to prosecute them, the U.S. attorney can vigorously prosecute any violent crime that violates a criminal law. Now, as a general matter, so most criminal law is state. Uh, so, for example, there's not a general federal murder law. Like, if you go and murder someone, as a general matter, that's not a federal crime. That's a state crime. Um, there's not a general rape law. If you you commit a rape, as a general matter, that is a state crime that's prosecuted by a state prosecutor. It's not a federal crime. Federal crimes are are things that specifically implicate federal interests. They are things like Carjacking is a federal uh, crime because it implicates the right to travel and often traveling uh, state, uh, crossing state lines. The most widespread federal crime that can be used in violent crime is a felon in possession of a firearm illegally. So in a great many instances where you have someone committing a crime, you have someone who already is a felon who has a gun and it violates federal law and their mandatory minimum sentences for felons in possession of firearms. One of the things that I've advocated is getting much more aggressive in prosecuting those cases. So a vigorous federal prosecutor can be a check, can be a balance. Uh, it, it can't solve everything if you have a local DA who's refusing to prosecute violent crime, but anytime you can get a federal crime, that can at least be a check and balance on on the failure of the, of the state DAs. Yeah, that's very interesting. I know people that live under the oppression of these Democrat regimes are suffering and looking for any recourse they have at their disposal to improve the safety of their communities for their own, their own sake and the sake of their families. So I want to check in with the Verdict Plus community here. We have a question from Mellow Mel. That's the username. Mellow Mel asks, what are your plans, Senator Cruz, to address the Chinese buying up land in the United States? And Senator, I have to say, this is something that we covered extensively on the Liz Wheeler show. And I can tell you, this is not something that just Mellow Mel is worried about. We all are. Yeah, I, I think it's a very serious problem. Uh, the Chinese are aggressively buying land in America. And I'll tell you, one of the things they're doing in particular is they're buying land near U.S. military bases. And, and they're, they're targeting military bases in particular to do a couple of things. One, they put up windmills on them. And they put up windmills in order to interfere with flight pa uh, paths for military training. And so there, there are bases in Texas, for example, where we do a lot of training for our military, where fighter pilots or, or different pilots are up practicing and training, where suddenly you put, put a bunch of windmills right in the middle of their flight paths, and it limits significantly the capacity for training. Um, there is a related problem. They go near military bases also because they engage in espionage. They, they're trying to spy 
on what's happening in the military bases. I think it's a huge problem. I've introduced legislation trying to block this. Uh, I have been working to try to get that legislation attached to the National Defense Authorization Act. So far, uh, we haven't been able to get it done, but I've got some level of optimism that we will make some progress. What the opposition has been is there's actually a process called CFIUS where the federal government has to approve some foreign investments uh, in the United States. And the stakeholders in that CFIUS process are jealous of their authority and they don't want to want to cede any to any, anybody else. And so much of the resistance so far has been bureaucratic resistance. That being said, I, I think this is a growing problem. And so I'm going to keep pressing uh, to pass federal legislation to stop it. Okay, Senator, we have one final question before we go. This is a question from Nancy. She has a funny personal question. Nancy says, how about ditching the suit jacket for a while? Why not be a little bit less formal? Um, so, so look, look, today I'm in jeans and, and tennis shoes. Um, you know, I, I, I like the look of a jacket a little more. If I, if I probably hit the gym a touch more, I might be more, a, a little more willing to, to, to shed the jacket, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I certainly agree with being casual. So I always shed the tie. And and frankly, if I have the chance to go go change, which I did today, um, I'll set, shed the suit altogether and do it in in more casual clothes. But but I think uh, I think I'll probably stick with the jacket for now. Liz, if I was skinny like like you or Michael, I, I, I would happily be sans jacket and, you know, flexing for the camera. But but I think I'm probably not quite at that physique right now. I'll leave the flexing on camera for Michael, but I will accept your compliment. So thank you, Senator. Okay, Verdict Plus, thank you for the great questions and for joining us for this discussion. Make sure you leave your questions in the community for next week's episodes. Post them below or wherever you want. I'll find them. Thank you for being here. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Cloakroom on Verdict Plus.